in our culture, especially in the U.S. and Canada and Australia and the U.K., and we're so individualized. And so through our family and through the media and elsewhere, like the way that we grow up, we're constantly thinking that other people are having the same experience as we are. That's the assumption is like, oh, yeah, you know, (laughs) or it goes from one extreme to the other, like. I'm alone and nobody knows what I'm going through, which is not true either. No, we're all having the same experience. Welcome to the Art of Humanity. I'm your host, Jessica Ann. This is my podcast where you can listen for fresh perspectives with artists, leaders, authors, and your favorite entrepreneurs. You can explore creativity and consciousness, evolve your business with the Art of Humanity. Now, here's this week's episode. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening, as always, to the show. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Here's the thing. I really haven't listened to too many audiobooks up until recently because I prefer to use my Kindle. But audiobooks are now my main way to consume content. This may be because I can't look down anymore. I can't look down at my books because I hurt my neck, so it hurts to look down. But it's also because I'm really finding a new sense of freedom in the delivery of that format. So I highly recommend it. And the other reason is because I'm a minimalist, as listeners and readers of my book may know. I don't necessarily need or want more books. I really love experiencing the brilliant insights of a book minus that hard copy. If it's a really good book, of course, I'll still buy that hard copy. Don't get me wrong, but I do love digital versions on my Kindle. If you also love audiobooks, Audible is offering the Art of Humanity listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash artofhumanity and browse the selection of audio programs. You can download a title and start listening. It's really that easy. I love listening to audiobooks before bed. And the best part is that you can listen to audiobooks when you have the Wi-Fi turned off. I choose my audiobook, turn airplane mode on, put my eye mask on, and drift off to books. Next thing you know, it's a few hours later and you've already went through a few chapters. If I can offer a recommendation, I highly recommend downloading one of the books that my guest today and I bring up briefly in this episode, which has been super eye-opening. The book is called White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism by Robin D'Angelo. The foreword is written by Michael Eric Dyson. You may have read some of his articles in the New York Times. To take a line from Dyson's foreword, White Fragility is a vital, necessary, and beautiful book, a bracing call to white people everywhere to see their whiteness for what it is and to seize the opportunity to make things better now. Clearly, this topic is much bigger than me. I do feel called to discuss it, not only because of how much this book has shifted my perspective, but because this topic isn't merely at the individual level. It's part of the collective conscious. My guest and I discuss more of this in today's conversation. This is episode 38, and I've received such great feedback from launching season four of my podcast. I always appreciate your comments. I received this positive comment from Blanca in Portugal on iTunes. As someone that's involved with social media on a daily basis, I listen to plenty of tech and marketing podcasts. Jessica Ann's podcast differentiates itself not only because of the varied topics she covers and the quality of her guests, but because her focus, regardless of the topic, is on humanity, something that those of us in tech often lose sight of. This is a great podcast if you're looking to learn, grow, and focus on what's important. Thank you so much, Blanca, in Portugal for that review. 
And if you like this podcast, leaving a five-star review on iTunes would mean the world to me and help me to gain momentum. It really only takes a few seconds. So if you could go over right now to iTunes, leave a review, I'll maybe even give you a shout out in my next episode. This season focuses on empowering the next paradigm of creativity. And one of the topics I'm exploring in this podcast and in my next book is creativity and consciousness. My guest today is someone who aligns with my mission of truth and leadership, Andrea Renee. Much of Andrea's life has been about two questions. Why is the world the way it is? And how can I grow and heal? In her pursuit to answer these questions, she's come to another question. How can she live, work, and grow in a way that supports and contributes to social change? Finding her own answers to these questions has become her life's journey, and she loves partnering with others who are also in these questions to support them in finding their own answers. When it comes to oppression and injustice on all levels, there's so much work to do, and she believes we each hold some very important roles in deconstructing and transforming the reality we've inherited. In this episode, Andrea and I discuss why peeling back our layers honors our humanity, the difference between othering and marginalization, steps to create a more just world. We also talk about the importance of feeling our emotions so that we can transmute them into higher service, how we can act from a place of integrity and purity without it being performative, and why the self-help industry is not changing the world. I'm so excited to bring you this episode. Let's go to the show. Today, I'm talking with vision-led coach and facilitator who believes that together we rise. Her name is Andrea Renee. Andrea Renee is deeply committed to doing her part to cultivate a world that works for everyone. Her work sits at the intersection of personal growth, social justice, and conscious business. She is the creator of Coaching as Activism. She supports people doing transformative work to deepen their impact by taking a critical look at how their work and lives are connected to social change. She's the co-founder of Whole Self Liberation, and she offers and uplifts practical tools, resources, and wisdom for those who want to make change happen in their lives and communities. Andrea works with entrepreneurs, businesses, and organizations that want to be more inclusive and impactful in their work through their approach to leadership, their brand, and their company culture. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to dive into this conversation. Yeah. So this season of The Art of Humanity focuses on creativity, which isn't always connected with social activism from mm-hmm. like a big picture perspective. <laughs> but as the threads of our society unfold, it's really becoming more clear how activism and creativity have a shared focus of shifting boundaries, changing relationships, and really creating new paradigms. As people start waking up, we're realizing that these topics aren't merely at the individual level, but they're part of the collective conscious. So whatever our chosen palette, the practice of understanding how we can be of service is a source of potential change on its own. And mm-hmm. we can really create a space where valuable insight can be found through reflection and sharing. Andrea, your journey crosses into social justice and transformation, and not everyone has made the connection that these topics even intersect. Mm-hmm. You're actively trying to work against very widespread systemic ideologies. You peel back the layers of our labels and belief systems and cultural expectations. 
this is some deep work. (laughs) So I think it's important to start pretty simple or as simple as we can for such a discussion. How does peeling back these layers honor our humanity? Wow. (laughs) You said simple. (laughs) I know that's not really simple. (laughs) No, no, it is simple. It's just what you said, like peeling back the layers helps us reclaim and give back to ourselves and to each other, our humanity. The more that we're able to have the conversation about racism and about sexism and about transphobia and ableism and ageism and all of these things, the more we're able to really see ourselves and each other and allow ourselves to be all that we are and and have our creativity and express ourselves in the ways that are real and true for us. Like the how is what you said. Who am I in this context and in this context? Yeah, peeling back the layers and asking, who am I? It blows Mm -hmm. me away because kind of as we dissect who we are and really break down how we grew up, our environment, our family, our background, like so much influences who we are as human beings. And your work takes in perspective that we're all filtered through a certain lens and it's speaking to the greater whole of our collective conscious and saying, you're aware of this. People may be listening to this and really not understanding the impact that their beliefs have on how they form the lens of their reality. What is a simple question that you can ask listeners who may be just coming to the awareness of their belief systems are so filtered? And how can we kind Mm -hmm. of like come to a, a point of understanding in a way that simplifies the human experience? I love the big questions (laughs) and I love the way you ask this one because it makes me think, you know, usually when I'm, when I'm talking about this, I ask people to like get more aware of themselves. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things that is crucially important, maybe even more important is getting to know the stories of the people that are in your, your life and in your community locally and in other realms, whether it's like through church or your job or immediate family or or not. Um, but instead of trying to figure out yourself, going towards especially the people that are different from you mm-hmm. and getting to know what their experience of life is and not just difference, but where they are experiencing a certain level of othering that you're not. Mm-hmm. So if you're a white person getting intentionally going for connecting with people of color, whether that's through books. (laughs) Um, If you don't have people in your area that where it feels weird to do that, because it could get weird. (laughs) But there's so much out there where people of color, trans folks, disabled folks, people that have lost children and that have mental illnesses. And if you have one person in your life that might have that experience, maybe not necessarily going to them at first, but looking for another story (laughs) that's similar to theirs that's Mm -hmm. been written about or spoken about, look up TEDx talks, look up (laughs) books, podcasts, and all of that, and start getting to know the experiences that you're not having Mm -hmm. on a daily basis and see how that informs you. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's so important to really get outside of our awareness of what we know of our reality because mm-hmm. we're so sheltered. In our culture, especially in the U.S. and Canada and Australia and the U.K., and we're so individualized. And so through our family and through the media and elsewhere, like the way that we grow up, we're constantly thinking that other people are having the same experience as we are that's the assumption is like, oh yeah, you know, (laughs) you know, like this, this experience, or it goes from one extreme to the other. Like I'm alone and nobody knows what I'm, (laughs) what I'm going through, which is not true either. No, we're all having the same experience and neither is true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You bring up such a good point and that it's, we don't know what we don't know. (laughs) So it's like, we just assume the way that consciousness works is that as you just expand, it's this ephemeral word, but as we expand our awareness, our consciousness makes us able to see things that we weren't able to see previously. And you bring up this word othering. Can you explain this concept? Because we're talking about how we only know based on our lens of our reality, but it almost filters through the concept of othering. Well, we, every single human being on earth has experienced othering, (laughs) but othering is not the same thing as marginalization. When we're talking about systemic marginalization, othering is a kid in school that the other kids think are weird (laughs) or not feeling like you fit in because you're different in some kind of way, whether that's in your family, like that happens all the time in families where there feels like there's a black sheep in the family that (laughs) doesn't quite fit into the rest of the family norms. That's othering. It gets amplified by the systems that we're in. And that's where we're, we're talking about marginalization on a systemic level. So we see difference, whether that's race, gender, sexuality, disability, what have you, age. <laughs> and our systems are built around that othering. It's, it's built around, I prefer this kind of way rather than this kind of way or this kind of person over this kind of person. That's the history of the U.S. <laughs> um, not even this person over this person, but like this is a person and this per- this isn't a person. This isn't a human. So the not human, the subhuman is not worthy of access to the resources that the full human is. So when you say that it's like the black sheep or the outcast in the family, how does that relate to like being a misfit? And then is that the foundation of your work? I think the foundation of my work is really getting at what what all we have inside of us, <laughs> or maybe not just even inside of us, but there are ways in which, for example, me, like there are ways in which I have been othered on interpersonal levels, but also on systemic and cultural levels. And that informs the way that I see the world. (laughs) Yeah, that's such an important concept. We can't just be these innocent, childlike creatures throughout our lives as much as we want to. It's like our, Mm -hmm. our experiences shape our reality. How has that affected you? I'm curious, like how has being othered affected you and has that led into the work that you do? Yeah. So I actually, (laughs) um, I love that we're talking about othering. I don't use this term a lot because I think it, it kind of gets at like the surface. Mm -hmm. But when I, when I think about othering, a lot of the time there's dehumanization involved or contempt. And so for me, I think on a personal level, which has of course 
cultural implications as a child, especially going through puberty, I shut down my body. (laughs) I shut down like really feeling able to own my body because I was starting to get a lot of attention from older Black men. And that scared me. And it started to not feel safe to be in my body. So I stopped dancing and got more into like the more aggressive things like sports and soccer and basketball, which I I love. But I mean, to this day, it's still a tender thing for me to like really be in my body dancing and a type of othering that isn't really talked about (laughs) a lot because it feels like it's like positive attention, but the othering exists within the the belief that those men can have access to me and that I cannot be safe. I cannot be safe as a 12 year old, <laughs> um, like hanging out at the beach. The attention, it's complicated <laughs> because there are people that um, get othered for not being conventionally attractive. And there are other implications for that. Um, so I have a privilege and the same privilege has made me feel unsafe at the same time. Mm-hmm. So girl, this is complex. <laughs> but yeah. um, for me, my work is around like really allowing ourselves to like acknowledge and honor all the pieces of ourselves and hold the complexity of it all. Because there's a lot of ways where I haven't been othered because people see me as attractive and I've been accepted. I've been brought into the club. And <laughs> and then there are a lot of ways where I haven't been attractive enough <laughs> um, and been othered. And then there are other ways where I have been seen as attractive and it's made me feel unsafe. So there's so much. <laughs> so much. Oh my gosh. It's so nuanced and the important as listeners are hearing your story. It's just you realize how deep everything runs and it's so nuanced. Mm -hmm. And the concept that I'm exploring is this term that I call embodied marketing. It takes away the external validation instead of focusing on, am I skinny enough? Am I black enough? Am I white enough? It it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It goes Mm -hmm. back to how you feel in your body and speaking with authority and purpose and vision in your being that transcends all of this external bullshit. Mm-hmm. These stories and these narratives are so important because they're the yeah. contrast to embodied marketing. It's the contrast mm. to embodiment. As an embodied human being, how yeah. do we bring and integrate all of these narratives and all of these nuances into mm-hmm. who we are today? Right. The pain and the the anxiety and or I want people to like me, I want people to see me in a certain way is a product of things that I just shared. But it also informs our values. The way that we experience the world and how other people experience us informs like what we find really, really important. And then that <laughs> should show it should show up in in how you market yourself and what your work looks like and just how you live too. Because <laughs> it's really important to me to protect young Black girls, because they're often seen as sexual way too early, or they're seen as um, deviant or disruptive 
in ways where they're just being themselves. <laughs> and so I'm like, yes, protect Black girls. And that's really important to me. And that's a beautiful thing because it's necessary. But it could also show up like, oh, I don't want to show my body <laughs> in a photo, for example, because I'm scared. I don't want that kind of attention. Bringing that awareness can can offer so much awareness about who you are and, and what things you might want to change. I'm dissecting who I am on a regular basis. And it's a really hard process. As you were talking about the concept of othering and, and how it's important to reach out to others not like you. It's a, such a humbling experience. When I first launched this podcast back in 2015, I interviewed a lot of people I knew, and they all happened to be white men. If you look mm-hmm. through my previous episodes, I, I'm just like embarrassed, honestly. I'm mm-hmm. just like, where are the women? Where are the women of color? Where is any diversity in my episodes, in my interviews mm-hmm. with these people talking about freaking humanity? As I started to reach out to more women, some of them, actually one woman in particular who I wanted to interview responded with, thank you, but please don't interview me, a white woman, you need to interview women of color. And you were one of them. And at first, I was shocked and confused. And I got defensive. It's like the status quo default is to defend myself Mm -hmm. with the view that I'm not racist. And then I realized how little self awareness I put towards, you know, my whiteness. I started reading white fragility. It's this book, why it's hard for white people to talk about racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really deepened my empathy and awareness. It really helps to wake us up from our own blindness. I, I'll put this book in the show notes for anyone listening. It really goes to show that no matter how woke we think we are, there's always more to see and uncover how we've been mm-hmm. conditioned in the system. And you doing that too, because when all you have is white men on the show, the only people, <laughs> um, the majority of the people that that say yes to the show in terms of like listening to it are going to be white men and white women. Because if we don't, we as people of color, women of color, don't see ourselves, <laughs> there is a small chance that we'll say, yeah, I'll listen to it. <laughs> um, because it's a sign that like, you don't know my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And so by you doing that, like kind (laughs) of like getting past the defensiveness and being like, well, yeah, wow. Yeah. (laughs) I I haven't been really aware of myself and doing the work to learn more Then you get to actually serve and reach the totality of the people that you're wanting to reach. Not just this, this very small group, unless that's who you're going for. Right. (laughs) And in that case, like, yeah, but I think even having that intention about who you're wanting to reach. So important. It's so important to me now that I'm aware of it and not reacting from a place of defensiveness (laughs) um, to really make that shift and to talk with more people about these really hard topics. (laughs) It's not easy to talk about this, but it's so important. This is like the work. This is the work that we need to do as leaders. Well, if we're going to talk about humanity, (laughs) we got to talk to humanity, (laughs) talk to a lot of different people. So as a transformative leader, what are some steps or even day-to-day work that we can take to honor our humanity and even our fallibility? to create a more Mm -hmm. just world? Well, I think the step that you took to 
realizing, oh, I'm getting defensive. <laughs> Let me actually like take a moment and listen or just reflect and, and see what's here for me. That's a huge one, especially for white folks or people that have a lot of privilege in, in our culture and system where there's so many things. I mean, like allowing yourself to have your feelings, whether it's like grief or rage or upset, but like really feel it because in these conversations, especially it can be, I'm speaking specifically to the white folks on the, <laughs> that are listening. It can be really easy to get into this like performative upset and we've all felt it. This is like things that that children do and we don't stop doing it from childhood, but we see it. (laughs) We like allow ourselves to see it um, in children where they get in trouble or they're about to get in trouble and then they start to like look like they're guilty or like they start putting on a show of like, oh, I'm sorry and I won't do it again and and they don't even know what they did wrong. Um, yeah, that kind of thing happens a lot in these conversations, especially for that's like what the white fragility is about. Like it's the, oh no, I've done something wrong and I don't want them to see me as a bad person and I want them to like me and I don't want to seem racist and (laughs) taking a a step back and taking a deep breath (laughs) and allowing yourself to like feel those feelings, but not push them on to to other people and just see what's there, <laughs> what's what's there for you. Because you might feel sad that somebody's saying that that you've hurt their feelings. That's real. Yeah. <laughs> um, or you might feel a lot of grief or rage that there are certain things happening in the government or in your country or in the culture or whatever. You might really feel that. But then what happens is we see this like this swell oftentimes where something comes to our attention in mainstream media or collectively like there's there's this huge tidal wave of energy (laughs) that goes towards something. um, And it usually lasts as long as a news cycle where we get like super upset about something. And then we don't really let ourselves like really let ourselves feel it. Like it's like this heightened thing. And I believe that like when we really let ourselves feel it and really just sit in like the upset, the despair, the hopelessness on the other side of that, there's action even if you don't know what to do, you're asking the question, okay, what can I do? And what what happens with this like new cycle, emotional cycle <laughs> is we get all these feelings and we're like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, especially after Trump was elected. Right. <laughs> um, we're like, oh my God. And then we move on because we feel like the the hints of like the hopelessness and like, oh, I, I, the, I feel so powerless. And then we feel like we can't do anything. So we move on. It's so funny. I just shared this meme. It just speaks exactly to this guy asking a girl, what are you outraged by now? And she's holding her cell phone and she's saying they haven't, she's looking at her cell phone saying they haven't told me yet. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's just so interesting how everything just shapes our perception through this toolbox of technology and psychology and everything permeates our consciousness on such a visceral Mm -hmm. level. It's just so important to be aware of how we are being shaped by the media and by politics and really digging down and listen, as you said, like without being performative. And I love that you use that word because everything's a show. The steps that you just listed to like feel the emotions before you react or really just go deep into the pain 
that is powerful work. Mm-hmm. That's our humanity rising up. Like when we're upset, when we're really angry about something that's telling us, okay, a boundary has been crossed. One of your values has been threatened. That's really valuable information. <laughs> um, you know, when we're grieving something like that is telling us like, we find this thing like really pleasurable or there's this thing that we find really important to us that we want to hold on to. That's really important. Pushing it down and, and suppressing it serves, serves the systems that we're getting upset about. It serves the oppressive white supremacist domination centered systems that we're like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Let yourself feel it. That's an active resistance against it an act of doing something different that's counter to the, the dominant culture and has, it has a, a ripple effect at the very least. <laughs> yeah. I'd like you to shed some light on the fact of when we do feel these emotions and then, you know, we are self-aware. There's also the concept of, of personal responsibility to act. Mm-hmm. So how can we mm-hmm. act from us from a place of integrity and purity in our own hearts if we do feel these emotions, but then not having it be performative? Yeah. So one thing, there's probably a lot of things in that, in our individualistic culture, thinking specifically about the U.S., but when we think about personal responsibility, we're thinking about what I am responsible for in terms of like <laughs> the things that keep me alive, my like immediate family, and that's about it. <laughs> um, and a shift to make a mindset shift, it can be hard to do because we're so focused on I'm an individual. I am, I am doing this myself. We are responsible to each other as well, not for each other, but to each other. The people that are billionaires, that are are millionaires, <laughs> that are hoarding a lot of wealth, are responsible to us. <laughs> they're, they're responsible to us. And it's irresponsible to know that so many of the world's problems could be altered with a fraction of the money that they have and they keep it. That's irresponsible. But we're we're so much in this in this mindset that oh, that person over there, they're having their own experience and they're, they're responsible. They're responsible for their, for their life. Right. And yes, they're responsible for their life, but you are also responsible to their life. Like yes. we don't exist separately from each other. We are always informing each other. So the 53% of white women that voted for Trump are responsible to the rest of us. <laughs> um, because if... 10, 20% of those people were paying attention to the needs of other people, they might've made a different decision and things might be a little different, not too different. We're impacting each other. Exactly. And and this speaks so much to, like, I want to get to the self-help industry yeah. because we are all connected, as you were just explaining. And, and you know, a lot of the modern day new age material that's out there in the self-help industry, it helps us in incremental ways, meaning that we can learn how to love ourselves and, and everything. And that's so important to this work as well. But real mm-hmm. growth and potential has everything to do with being in relationships with others. 
being together with people who don't share the same values and cultures and beliefs. Mm-hmm. So how does the ripple effect of the work that you do, how important is the self-help industry? And I bring this up because, you know, it's important, but also you wrote a whole article on why the (laughs) self-help industry is not changing the world. So, you know, how important is self-help to doing the work of being together with people that don't have the same values? Is Is it important to love yourself first before you can be with others? Like, can you just speak to me a little bit on a deep level? Oh, there's so much. (laughs) Um, So yeah, self-help serves the purpose of helping the self in terms of bringing self-awareness into your life and and understanding who you are, understanding yourself. But also you can't do that in isolation. Like you can only do so much when you are isolated from other humans. We are relational beings. We thrive when we are connected to other people. So my point with that article was pointing out that the self-help industry is toting itself as this thing that will change the world. And it cannot because changing the world is relational work. So if we're only focused on ourselves and loving ourselves and not thinking (laughs) um, or working on doing the real tough work of what it looks like to actually love other people. We're relating to them, (laughs) whether they're different from us or not. That is what changes the world because all of these systems, the institutions, the government, the educational system, healthcare system, all of these things, it's automating our relationships. It's just a wider scale thing of like how we relate to each other Mm. and uh, practices put in place to support the relating to the people that need the services or need the education or whatever, but severely flawed because Mm. it's not actually relating to the people because it's not actually really thinking about what these people need Mm. um, and what would actually serve them. So the self-help industry helps that in the sense that like how we show up to our relationships is informed by how we, how we see ourselves, how we love and care for ourselves, how we understand ourselves. And then it stops there and there's more. And then there's relational development work, <laughs> relational growth work and mm. social development. It doesn't stop there. It's like another level, another dimension to our awareness that we have to realize, not just for Mm -hmm. our own personal gains, but for the whole of humanity. There's a great responsibility if you have a platform. I don't know. I'm speaking with a strong opinion on this now. (laughs) But um, (laughs) it's important that you have, I guess, the self-awareness of that you can learn how to hold the space. Can you shed some light on how to navigate or hold the space? For others, because it is transformative work. You know, I, a lot of my clients and my listeners are visionary leaders and and we are doing transformative work, whether you realize yeah. it or not. Anyone with a large platform is doing work. Mm-hmm. How can we evolve these conversations um, and how can we hold the space to continue to evolve these conversations to a place where it brings awareness to the collective conscious? Yeah, it's hard for sure online, (laughs) especially like through social media. That's very difficult. Getting on the phone with people 
getting into physical space with people, if that's possible, having email or DM conversations with people. I think what's hard about with specifically with social media is everything's so quick and we're conditioned to just like react, 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 react. And there's not a lot of space. If we're not aware of ourselves, there's not a lot of space for reflection <laughs> or even checking to make sure that we understood what the person was trying to say because words on a screen fail us in terms of like really getting the tone, any like sarcasm or getting the meaning, the emotion behind the words. So context, going, it's, it's really yeah. context is everything. And it, that's hard to communicate through social media. Mm-hmm. So, so going for the opportunities that you have to like actually have conversations with people, not just comment <laughs> on somebody's thing, um, but to like get on the phone or, or get into a Zoom chat or Skype or meet up in person for some tea or like, <laughs> or something, mm-hmm. because that's really like, I am constantly thinking now about this podcast that I listened to, How to Survive the End of the World. That's run by Adrienne Marie Brown, who I love and adore, (laughs) and Autumn Brown, her sister. And they're talking about apocalypse and how we are in an apocalypse and our ancestors have lived through apocalypse season and how it's not just like this far off thing that like where zombies might show up and, (laughs) but that there are things that we can do now to support. There are many pieces of the world that are ending, that are going through major transition. And so as I think about that, like relationships are everything. (laughs) The like real deal relationships that we have with people is what will save us no matter what. And that's what will not just save us, but like help us thrive. So regardless of apocalypse, (laughs) which seems really dramatic, but it's real. Like if we are consistently developing these like social media relationships and not taking it any further. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's like the majority of what we have in terms of social capital isn't the right word, but resource, like the resources that we have, especially in hard times, especially when things are in transition are the people. And so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like as you're saying this, it's it is so important, but and I hate even using the word but after that cuz it's <laughs> the most important thing ever. I'm an introvert and I love yeah. people, but I love people from the comfort of my own home. <laughs> yeah. How do you and I think I read on your profile that you're also like an INFJ, is that correct? Mm-hmm. So, how do you do this work, this transformative work while still respecting your own boundaries? Yeah. I have to take a lot of breaks. <laughs> typically my day, because I, since I work from home, I typically <laughs> my day looks like going really deep into a client call or um, in one of my programs, one of the calls, and then literally doing nothing <laughs> for like another hour after that, or just watching some mind-numbing television or something and making sure that I eat and making sure that I'm drinking a lot of water and and all of that. But you have to find what works for you. You have to find what sustains you 
all of this in-depth reflection work and uh, relationship building and showing up for your communities and everything takes a lot of energy <laughs> and and it's real like if you're an introvert for me it's a, l- a little different because I like I'm kind of in between I love being around people try to be around people a lot if I'm around the wrong kind of people like drained yeah, <laughs> drained. yeah, yeah. yeah that's how I am too for sure yeah but I guess in your work, the people that you work with are your people. Is that correct? Do you almost gravitate or do they gravitate to you, like the right connection? Is, is that uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really picky. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am in transition now because I think for the first like few years of, of being in this work, I had to make a decision to really only like allow myself to, to like fully show up in spaces where people have chosen either to commit through like energy or commit through payment to be in a certain space with me. And now I'm like in a transition where I'm trying to figure out like, okay, how can I show up outside of this space and and share my voice more on a larger level and still have the boundaries (laughs) that I need to do that sustainably yeah, a lot of the people that show up are totally my people. <laughs> um, and I'm really energized by them. And it's still exhausting. <laughs> it's still exhausting. I'm talking about oppression and in- injustice all day long. <laughs> yeah. So, And feeling my feelings helps. It gives me more energy. And I think that's because I've been working on that for a long time. Like in the beginning, it will feel even more exhausting <laughs> to feel all your feelings. Yeah. But as it like becomes just like a quicker, like I'm pissed off. Let me just like be pissed off for a second. And then I'm, you know, like children, yeah. <laughs> children, like be really upset. They just hurt themselves or whatever. And then they, they feel it and then they move on. <laughs> yeah. Is that the right word? Transmuting it instead of like resisting the emotion? You, you yeah. Feel like, is that- it's information. Like mm-hmm. we hurt ourselves and we're like, okay, maybe I won't do that again. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I see it as like integrating the emotion because it's trying to move through you. Yeah. You have a coaching program called Coaching as Activism and you also do one-on-one work. Can we maybe go into detail about the work that you do in your uh, yeah. coaching program? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have the program coaching is activism that um, is specifically for people that are coaches, healers, uh, counselors, people that are doing like the transformative one-on-one or group level work who want to understand all, <laughs> all of these things that we're talking about, like what, what oppression is and, and how it shows up and how it's affecting how you see yourself, how it's affecting how you see other people. And so we talk about we talk about the tough stuff. We talk about white supremacy. We talk about patriarchy and capitalism, gender-based violence, transphobia, classism. All of that is in there. <laughs> um, and it's a really deep internal and relational process of just like seeing yourself more clearly so I have that. There's like the the collective, which is kind of like a membership where people just have access to the the content as much as they they want. There's a lot, <laughs> um, and then I have the the intensive, which is like a really deep dive for ten weeks with a small group of people to get kind of like a jump start. Like this isn't a a comprehensive like you'll be woke at the end of it kind of because <laughs> this work, regardless, not just my work, but the work of like 
understanding our our cultures, our society, um, our systems, and how you you fit into all of it. Like that's lifelong work. Um, so this is kind of like a jump start for some people, and for other people, it's just kind of a sustaining thing where they just like having access to like the resources and new articles to like challenge the way that they're thinking about things. So I have that. And and that's kind of like what my one-on-one work looks like too, but it's really focused in on as a business owner, as, as a leader, how can you show up with the most integrity and authenticity um, and uh, really taking care of yourself while also serving the people that you want to serve um, and what does that look like? There's a bunch of other things that I have on the docket as well. <laughs> so, but those are the main things for me right now. Yeah. Well, now that you mentioned it, I'm curious what's coming up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 2019 is going to be interesting. <laughs> it's going to be wild. Um, so I am working on relaunching this, a whole nother business <laughs> um, that's that's connected, um, but it's called Whole Self Liberation. Mm-hmm. Um and it'll be a, a platform for Black and Brown and Indigenous folks to who are interested in in growing themselves and getting to know themselves more, but also wanting to to do that for the purposes of like showing up in their communities, showing up for for change, so that they can come to to, to whole self liberation and and get all these different resources around the mind, the body, the spirit. Our, our community and the earth <laughs> and things like classes, content, all that. Uh, so I'm launching that in next spring, <laughs> uh, spring of 2019. And I'm about to start a podcast that's called A Call to Serve. That's for business owners supporting them to serve, <laughs> to serve their people um, in the best way with the most integrity, with the, the analysis of who are the people that you're serving and what are they, what context do they exist in? Call to serve. Oh, I just, that like mm-hmm. really resonates with me. So, yeah. wow. And when you do launch, uh, send me links and I can always add them to the show yeah. notes to allow listeners to find you and your future work. Mm-hmm. Yes, I will. And um, how can listeners find you as your work today? My website is andrearenee.com. Or you, if you're interested in coaching as activism, you could go to coachingasactivism.com. And if you're interested in whole self-liberation and getting on the <laughs> the waiting list to, to see when it launches, um, that's wholeselfliberation.com. And then on social media, I am at Andrea Renee J on everything. I feel like one hour is not enough to unpack (laughs) all of what you're about and your work in the world. So um, I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to talk with you. So thank you so much for speaking your truth and helping us navigate all of the different dynamics of our humanity. So thanks so much for joining me, Andrea. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for creating this podcast to talk about humanity. I love it. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. You made it to the end of the podcast. This means the world to me, and I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to hop on over to my podcast website, artofhumanity.io, for show notes or past interviews. Or you can message me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My name is Jessica Ann, and my handle starts with an I. 
It's at I-T-S-J-E-S-S-I-C-A-N-N. I'd love to hear from you and learn more about what you've learned from this episode, and I'll be sure to get in touch with you. If you really love this podcast, I'd highly appreciate it if you went on iTunes right now and left a review. It helps way more than you know. Let's get the Art of Humanity movement going. Thank you for listening. Until the next episode, evolve your business with the Art of Humanity. Listen, explore, evolve. I'm Jessica Ann.